Hello and welcome to Machine Learning Engineered. I'm your host, Charlie Yu, and every week I talk to an exceptional data scientist, AI researcher, or software engineer to discover how they bring cutting edge research out of the lab and into products that people love. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to Effective Altruism and the Giving What We Can pledge. I'm not getting paid to say this, but I think these ideas are so important that I want to get the message out. If you're listening to this podcast, most likely you are well into the 1% in the world. By pledging to donate just a small fraction of your income to the most effective charities, you can save the lives of dozens of people living in extreme poverty reduce unnecessary suffering in factory farms, and improve the long-term future of humanity. Join me and over 4,900 others who have pledged to donate over $1.8 billion over their careers by going to givingwhatwecan.org. And with that, let's get on to the show. My guest today is a prolific data science content creator. As he recalls it, he went from noob coder as a computer science freshman at SRM University in India to a Kaggle expert and now working at H2O.ai, one of the most well-known companies in the space. And if you want to know how he did it, he documented his entire journey on Medium and on his own blog. Please welcome the host of the excellent Chai Time Data Science Show, Siam Bhutani. Siam, thank you for being here. Thanks, Charlie. It's, it's really nice to be here. I, I guess that was an unfair intro. The real intro would be I drink a lot of chai and ask a lot of stupid questions to really smart people. And I'm somewhat interested in data science. <laughs> well, in honor of your show, the Chai Time Data Science Show, I have a chai tea right here. It's That's awesome. It's surprising. Most of the times the people I'm speaking with, they usually are having coffee and now I have to go back and edit that part out where they mention coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I actually do like chai, uh, although this is probably an abomination of what you drink over there. So, yeah, like I, I don't understand why someone wouldn't like chai, right? It's, it's, it's so obvious. Why wouldn't you like it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I feel the same way. So the first question that I always like to ask our guests is, how were you first exposed to computer science and programming and what made you pursue it? Sure. And even before that, jokes aside, uh, it's really great to be speaking with you. So thanks for the opportunity. So I'll maybe go back a bit in time. And I guess there's some things, at least I'd like to think so, that really click together when you're exposed to them. So, for example, gaming obviously. And I remember I was exposed to basic programming in my fourth standard in high school. And I guess you can call it school because I, I know people over there call uh, university school, but it's over here, it's a school. And I was really hooked onto that part. So at that time, I would just read books from cover to cover, whatever books I could find, books on basic, Java, literally. And to me, it was clear that this is something that I really enjoy and I just want to explore. So at that at that point, I just had this click or connection with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 
it's obvious in your uh, all your content. You always seem to have a smile on your face that you really are passionate about all this stuff. Do you think that it's only grown over time as you've gotten to, into more of it? For sure. Uh, I think I'm just happy while doing this. I get to meet amazing people like you, even thanks to whatever opportunities come along as, as I create content, right? So uh, I got to know you through creating Chai Time Data Science. And I think it's a chain reaction of everything. So I, I really enjoy it. Whatever I do, I, I make sure I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying it. Otherwise, I try to end it as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, that's a really great philosophy just in general for living a good life and avoiding burnout. For sure. So I really want to step through how you went from just that freshman who was new to coding in in school, uh, as as you say, and then to where you are now, because I think it holds a lot of useful lessons for anyone listening who might want to Maybe they're a software engineer right now and they want to transition into machine learning or maybe they're in school themselves and they think machine learning is where they want to go. So how did you first hear about machine learning and what was the first thing that you went about trying to learn it? Sure. I'll I'll give the honest version since podcasts are long formats and I don't want to hide any fluff around it. I joined joined a good college. So I joined SRM University, which is a reputed university. And I had high hopes of learning computer science. You watch all of these movies, you see hackers opening terminals, doing crazy stuff. I went in with that mindset. Although to to be realistic, I was just interested in making stuff with code. I was disappointed with the syllabus we had. If it was a movie, I would have asked for a refund that that was the mindset (laughs) that I was in, at least in my first semester. So I got tuned to that and I decided, hey, I could keep complaining about it or a i need to fix something about it and right around that time coursera was coming up now now i take courses freely a lot i i don't mind subscribing to courses getting books joining any number of courses but at that time that that was a financial decision right taking up even udacity nano degrees those were around a thousand dollars and that's that's a big figure in general as well but in india as well that's that was almost equivalent to my semester fees. Oh, wow. So I, I just decided, why not give 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 everything a try? So since the syllabus was redacted, I just went from workshops to workshops. Luckily, we had a lot of student clubs, a lot of workshops happening in and around the university area, like any, any good college would have. I would sign up for every single one of them. I remember weekends, I, I tried to sign up for as many as I could get in. I, could, I would go to the neighboring universities in in the city attend workshops meet people there see see what their interests are try to understand what i am interested in and in this trial and error process or the stochastic gradient process although in hindsight that's that's what it is in hindsight in reality it was just a brute force technique to to find what i was interested in so right around my sophomore year i heard about machine learning through the famous andrew Ng course and fun fact, I've never really completed the course. I gave up when I saw the MATLAB assignment. So I never, never dared to complete it, completing it. Uh, the Udacity nano degrees came around right, right around that point. And I decided, why not? Let's, let's sign up for that. Let's see what's there. And the common reaction that I was getting from everyone was, Hey, this, this stuff, it's interesting. And this was right around 2016, 2015. 
so we 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 used to have academic advisors as well nothing against them i think they they were wishing the best for me but they suggested that this might be too advanced for sophomore stu- student i decided might as well give it a shot because I, i was just curious i was just interested in checking it out that led to a bunch of chain reactions i of course did a lot of courses outside of that but i decided to take up the challenge of try something interesting that's that's what i was doing up until mm-hmm. that point the part about your mentors professors it seems like a lot of these people they they're well meaning but they definitely do kind of limit you in terms of saying that oh yeah you need an advanced degree and you should wait learn to specialize later and it just seems like that's very discouraging for a lot of people they they set their minds on going down that academic path only and not exploring it for themselves how are you able to have that self belief and overcome the people saying that you wouldn't really that it's advanced and that you might not be able to do it to be honest there was a lot of self doubt involved even is still this this one aspect of just accepting that hey i'm going into something that's supposedly advanced and what i am prepared for so i'm going to feel like an idiot but what what can you do either you give up or you stay at it that that's true to any stream any stream in it or programming in general so i just went in with that mindset let's let's give this a shot let's see if this is interesting because i had joined almost every single student club that that my uh, university had to offer i cycled through them one by one of course not not in parallel and i i didn't enjoy them as much so i i was just looking for something that i would be interested in and that that stuck through so there was a lot of uh learning involved as well outside of the courses because these do assume some prerequisites and to be honest as a undergrad you're not exposed to them not that after completing an undergrad you get exposed to them you still have to learn them through some process still but yes there, there was a lot of self doubt involved and uh, nothing against my professors they they were also new to these words at that point of time so if to to remind you tensorflow just came around my second semester i think it was just released at that point Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that a lot of people they seem to get hung up on the math part of it where they think there's some super complex I don't know super complex linear algebra or probability theory going on and I, with normal statistical traditional machine learning I actually think that there's a lot more of that we're starting to see some of those things come into deep learning but the original AlexNet and the simple neural networks the math is actually extremely simple and mm-hmm. it so maybe it's because the those professors they've seen those other more complicated techniques where you have to understand like what the kernel's doing stuff like that and that's why they themselves think that it might be too advanced it's it's almost interesting so this this is sort of entangled in my journey but at one point i was also pursuing some nano degree that was called flying car nano degree where they teach you teach you about how to program flight programmers flight controllers wow. sorry interesting yeah like like i said there's there's no pattern to this it was just a pure pursuit of passion and at that point i realized so i i i was schooled in india and the indian education system has a very rigorous math prereq and at that point i learned that i had learned enough math to be even able to code flight programmers or what they call flying cars essentially drones the the underlying physics is, is the same 
the thing i realized i was struggling with was being able to apply these and as mm-hmm. as an undergrad that's one thing i was almost approaching which is just just sort of hacking things together right taking someone else's code from github and trying to run it by my own i remember i wasn't able to install even the so we have a requirements file for different things at one point i was in a embedded stuff I I forget the name of the student club but it, we were doing embedded stuff of Arduino mm-hmm. circuit boards and what not. I wasn't able to install the suite of being able to run things. So I, I was always along that route of trying to figure out how to put these things together and that's what I realized that hey to me in my mind pure theoretical math is somewhat clear. I hope so. But being able to apply that to some extent uh, was where I was lacking. So to me always the bottleneck would be how can I turn this thought into code. Yeah, exactly. And zooming out a little bit, I think that sentiment is also present now where we're seeing that obviously you have models like GPT-3 and all of these image models that are better than humans at classifying or other tasks. And now, even now, they're still not used that much in business because of that bottleneck is in actually being able to apply it in real life. And we'll get to that. I think we'll get to that later, but I, I want to stay on for now the how uh, your own journey to self-learning. You said that you were in almost every student club and SRM, it's a very top university. So where did you get the time to dig into these these courses and books? Are you talking about the machine learning courses or books? Because I, yeah, didn't, yeah. I didn't care about the academic side of things. I did okay. Oh. <laughs> I made sure of that app. I would study a night before the exam, you know, the classic engineer stereotype. I would pattern match my way into the questions, somewhat get get a good score. I I graduated with distinction just to let you know, but that's that's one way of doing it. I don't recommend it. I was just curious. So I was just interested in following these and I didn't care what time it would take. So to to, to me, it wasn't about time management. There was nothing else I would would enjoy more. So just, just return to... My dorm after classes, just pick up whatever I was working on, just pick up the Arduino boards that I had purchased that month, just pick up the drone we were programming at one point in time, continue with the website that I was developing with that student club in another point of time. I remember at at weekends, we would very excitedly commute to a different college, four hours each side, four hours total of journey. Every weekend and we'd, we'd enjoy it. We'd have me and a group of friends would enjoy our time. We'd go there to learn more of this embedded stuff. Uh, I was really enjoying working on Arduino boards because, and the reason for that is you get to see the code work in real life. And that's one thing I was really annoyed by when, when I joined college. Hey, where, where do I see the dots connect, right? I don't see this being used anywhere. You're, you're talking about OOP and whatnot. I don't see that being used. So I was I was always enjoying it. Uh, that's that's one mm-hmm. thing that I make sure that I do. Yeah, the, it is funny because I also started uh, doing embedding stuff. That's how I originally got into programming was through my high school's robotics team. Interesting. And like you say, it is kind of cool to see like a for loop printing out stuff on the terminal, but it's not that cool. <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, you're it's way more exciting to program a robot to go and compete against other robots. Yeah, totally. Uh, Have you done Robo Wars before? No, no, but I, I did watch it a lot. I always wanted to be uh, a Mythbuster, actually. And uh, Grant Imahara was uh, on my Robot Wars, so I always watched them. 
yeah I, we used to take part in them those were a lot of fun <laughs> yeah wow that's awesome so the to bring out a little bit the data science stuff you had success in obviously self-teaching this stuff pretty early on in college and i think something that a lot of people get hung up on is that it's so hard to find that first real experience like that first job or internship but you were as i understand it you were you had an internship working in computer vision after your sophomore year is that correct i think that was in my uh, freshman year if i remember oh wow that. freshman year so how did you go about searching for that job getting it when most people think that it's so such an advanced topic and a freshman can't do it yeah i i didn't think of it like that and i would just reach out to people anywhere and everywhere i could just trying to talk to them hey i need to understand what this stuff is i need to see what you are building i'm i'm happy to do an internship happy to work in any voluntary role but just i was just curious to explore so and to be clear it it wasn't that things clicked for me right away like you mentioned i, I wasn't really good at self teaching I, i still am not and i've i've spoken about these in my articles as well i would go through a lot of courses so that's that's one sign that hey i take a lot of time to learn so it's it's not something that comes naturally to me but it's something that i enjoy exploring so the frustration is a part of all of it not to complain but it it does take time it's not mm-hmm. that i was smart enough to figure it out in one go of course yeah and then in that first experience did you find that you through that self learning as you say there's a lot of frustrations did you continue to have those i guess to rephrase in that first work experience how much did you find that what you had learned was relevant to what you were doing I found my answers that I'm on the right path that so I had looked the looked at the complete syllabus of all four years and I found a few interesting topics but I see didn't see the dots connect right so at that point in time I was, I was working on open cv and if I remember correctly that was again on some embedded systems and I I didn't see them talk about any of the stuff that we were talking about during the internship where is optical flow you you're talking about edge detection and what not I don't see open CV in the syllabus so that was an uh, optional course you can pick uh, your courses right after sophomore year I I didn't see that and I was just speaking to my uh, mentors at the internship they were talking about code review what what, what what's that why would you review code it, it works right what, what do you need to do beyond that I I guess that's that's the main thing that's why we are advised to do internships and they sort of prepare you for the quote and quote real world because that's how they work and there's this this disconnect that you need to connect so i was just trying to find that dot that hey i need to really understand where is computer science being used because i don't see the circuit boards you're talking about the assembly language you're talking about it's interesting but it's it's not something that uh, is of interest to me and even where is it being used you're talking about 8086 boards i don't see them being used i have a I had a MacBook at that time which was at least a thousand times faster. So how do you use that on this stuff? I was I was interested to know about that right since then. Mhm. I think it's so important like you said the there's just a lot of those skills that you never think would come up in your internships. Uh code review like you had mentioned. One of the other ones that uh I found was 
not just cross-team communication, obviously communication is very important, but also even just operational stuff like checking in code regularly, writing good yeah. commit messages. My school didn't even teach me Git. I don't know what that's like uh, in the Indian universities. It's but there just some, <laughs> Yeah, it's quite surprising that uh, a lot of these practical things aren't taught. But you, I read that in one of your articles, when you were a student, you still had a quite a big vision for what you wanted to do. You wrote that you wanted to bring the goods of AI to the masses of India to help improve the lifestyle overall and not just make uh, a six-figure income. Yeah. Having, I think having a grand vision like that is not very common among when you're still a student. How did you begin to cultivate that? And how did, yeah, can you just talk about that? Go big or go home, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just put it down, knowing that that's something I'm inclined towards and now in hindsight, that's, that's a goal that I'm working towards in, what, 10, 10, 15, 20 years? So that's, that's the long-term vision. I get to work with really amazing people, but at the end of the day, where is this, this, this going to be used, right? At, at, at store.ai, we also care a lot about AI for the better of the world in general. So that's, that's one goal in general that I'm inclined towards. I see a lot of potential. So once I started to understand that, where can AI be realistically applied? Where can computer vision be realistically applied? The things that came to my mind were, hey, you could use this in agriculture a lot because a lot of that is still manual in India. Mm-hmm. People go out into the fields every single day to work on them. And it's, it's already coming up right now as well, right? You can see drones uh, being experimented just to detect d- diseases in, in different crops and whatnot. So I was just trying to... S- think ahead of time once i get to learn this what what am i going to do with it Mm -hmm. did you have uh some sort of so you had the vision what did did you have some sort of practice for taking that vision and then planning out the steps that you would have to go to get there or was it just you see the thing and like okay i'll just learn machine learning and that'll happen there are two things so I did both. A, I was interested in learning about something. B, I was interested in applying it to something. Which is why I also followed a bunch of courses on self-driving cars and whatnot. Because I thought, hey, if you could apply these to the Indian market or Indian farming scene, that, that could be a really big plus, right? Mm. So there were two things. And I was I remember I was also working on simulators, just trying to see if I can simulate these things in different fields. So there's something known as robot operating system. I'm sure you're familiar. I was, I was just trying to experiment with that too. And what you'd call it today is it's, it, it was an MVP of different sorts. And I was just trying to show that to my professors. So I am lucky I had some good guidance in that side, uh, good mentorship or just, just positive feedback. So b- both things were happening in parallel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was at somewhere around maybe, I guess your junior year, was it, where you got introduced to the fast AI community? I think so, yes. Yes, that, that was the time. Mm, and you did their international fellowship program. So how did you find that? And then what was your experience like? I saw this course and it, it looked very daunting to me. So I, w- I was looking at it, hey, they're talking about 
Gans, they're talking about Keras, they're talking about TensorFlow. What is that stuff even? And at that point in time, they were, they were using TensorFlow before, before I joined the course. Mm-hmm. So I saw an application to join. I was like, might as well try. <laughs> and I was, I was really surprised when I got the reply that, hey, you've been accepted. So that's, that's nothing on my part. Uh, Fasta in general is interested in democratizing, bringing different people into the course. And I was, I was lucky I got into that course. So it, it was just an attempt to see, hey, let, let me try this course. It, it looks interesting. It looks scary enough. Although I wasn't sure if I was qualified for it, uh, but I, I signed up nevertheless. And this is when going through this course is when you started your blog. Is that right? That's right. So it's, it's highly encouraged in the uh, course, as I'm sure you're familiar and that that kicked things off for me. So creating content started there. It, it it gives you a lot of confidence, right? If someone like Jeremy Howard or even the people that hang out on the Fast Eye forums, they're, they're the elites of elites. Many, many smart, many amazing, very, very skilled people come out of the blogs. And when, they're, when they are giving you positive feedback, hey, that was a great first blog post or when they're giving you positive feedback, hey, this was good, but can you try changing this to that? I, I don't know of a bigger motivator. That that was a huge push for me. So that, that again, snowballed everything into different directions where, where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it seems like, so for example, when I was going through the, through, through the first time for the Fast AI Deep Learning for Coders course, it is encouraged, but I think most people don't actually take action on setting the blog up and starting to put things out there. Uh, in the one of the previous episodes I had with Sean Wang Swix, he's talking about learning in public and how there's a 99 to 1 rule. 99% of people consume and only 1% decide to actually take action and put stuff out there. Was that a, did you struggle with that decision to start the blog? It sounds kind of weird in retrospect to say that, but it, it is a blocker for so many people. No, that's, that's, that's a good question for sure. No, I, at that point we had medium coming around and they weren't as evil as they are now, if I may call it that. They didn't have the forced pay, paywall everything in order to feed it into the recommender system approach. So that was pretty easy to set up. And the struggle was to find an idea to write about for the first post. I didn't, I don't remember of any other blocker. It was so highly encouraged and you you get motivated in a positive sense. So there there are two things. A, you feel competitive or B, if you look at other people doing stuff and they come from a similar background to you, you also get motivated. And we have this very positive community in fast day. It's, It's just growing. It's just grown exponentially since. But the community has a very positive uh, mindset and is very open to newcomers, which which was pretty strange compared to other communities that I used to hang out in at that point in time. So when you have so many people who are rooting for you, you have to do it. And anyone who's a part of the fast day community, I'm sure they don't follow the 99-1 rule. It's it's at least 20-80. So 20% consumers, mm-hmm. 80% producers there. And you say that you were getting so much motivation from people. And you said before that you were uh, just talking talking to people, cold emailing them, uh, getting their LinkedIn. Was it at this point that you started doing your now famous series, Interviews with Machine Learning Heroes? I think so. I, I don't remember the exact timeline, but 
I was already talking to so many people, just reaching out to them for advice. And this was also through the fast A forums, right? You meet people, you try to get advice from them because you see their experience. And when people, people like to share if you ask sincere questions. There, there are no uh, stupid questions. There are only lazy questions. So if you ask the right mm-hmm. questions, you get good answers. And I thought, let, let me give this a try. Let me try to interview them in a blog format. That's, that's how that started. And you were able to get so many big names on, on this, like Francois Chalet, Ian Goodfellow. How did you get these people to who are at the top of the field? How did you get them to actually agree to do this? Honestly, it doesn't speak anything about it. It just speaks about them. That they'd agree to give an interview to an idiot who doesn't know what he's talking about, who's just started in machine learning, doesn't know anything about it. And that's true still. And they'd give their time to me for an interview. So it, it just speaks about them. So it's, it's nothing special about me, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But you did have that first instinct to actually try and reach out to them. Yeah, wh- wh- why not, right? <laughs> I share the same mentality of doing this podcast as well. But it's I think a lot of people, they're, they, they think that those people are so unreachable and they think that it's they must have so many inbound requests that they'd rather just focus on their work. Do you think that that's a reflection of reality or or no? I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. When uh, So for someone who's at the stature of Francois Chole, I'm sure many, many people would like to have their advice, their time. I guess I was also lucky that they uh, gave me a shot with the interviews. They agreed to the request. So again... Uh, I was just trying to broadcast th- these uh, stories. I had no other role. I I don't think there's there's anything special about coming up with good questions. It's it's a straightforward process. <laughs> so again, it was at least for me. It's it's there's there's not any secret to what I do. So it was just it just speaks about them. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a pretty recurring theme that I've noticed in your work. You're always so gracious uh, as to mentioning and thanking the people before you and. Uh, holding up the people that you learned from. Is that something that was just always important to you? I, I don't know of any other way. So when someone gives you so much of their valuable time, right? Well, you have to be grateful. You will be grateful, if I may. So when when I remember asking so many stupid questions on, on the fast day forums, I do still. And that's that's what I've been doing on the podcast now, even more so. And people have been very kind to me in my journey. So I I call myself a community taught engineer and that's that's true to this date still. Whatever I have learned is through the community that has invested its time in me. Mm -hmm. You you have to keep the torch burning, pun intended. (laughs) Yeah, that that phrase, community taught engineer, I really like that. And throughout engaging with the community and talking to people not only in that interview series, but also in your podcast. What are the biggest takeaways or recurring success patterns that you've seen in these people who are at the top of the field? That's a great question. There there are two that I I think I might have mentioned these before as well somewhere else, but there are two different ones. So A, how easy it is to get started and B, how difficult it is. Let, Let me break that down. How easy it is to get into the field and start contributing, even even if you're just starting out, right? Because the field is so fresh. And if if you 
work hard enough in a few months you can start contributing which is very rare compared to other fields at least as far as i know i might be wrong and b once you get in there there's so much to learn it'll it'll take at least a few years that's not to demotivate anyone you can get started and start contributing very early but after that to be really really good at it which is i'm sure something that all of us inspire to aspire to sorry it takes a lot of efforts and that's that's one recurring theme that all of the grandmasters i've had a chance to interview who have said yes to my request all of the people i've spoken to they they put in a lot of efforts still still to this date after reaching the status of a kagal grandmaster after becoming number 1 across different years i've had the chance to interview different people who have been former number 1s and current number 1s in in categories they still to this date work really hard towards uh, being what they are and i am sure it takes a lot of effort as as it does take a lot of brains as well so you have to work hard and that's 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 not limited to this field if if i really think about it now now what we are doing with content right you need to make sure the audio is set up right you need to go around those tricks that's that's also a learning curve if you look at different people creating content in general there's there's a lot of learning curve there as well right if if you start to add some creativity that's that's even more or equally challenging at least i think yeah and then hard work obviously is so important for success in every single realm and and you were starting uh so you said that there were two parts of that so the first one was getting into the field and the second one was once you're in the field or how do you yourself keep up with all of the new research that's coming out there I don't think I do a good job at it. One way is just hanging out in the Twitter machine learning community. There's there's a good way. I know many people. Uh, I know Akash Nan. He's he's a computer vision engineer, and I know Machine Learning Tokyo. They're putting out these annotated papers, which are a great read. And in our community as well, there are many expert curators who who are aware of what's coming out in the community, and they curate it for you. They're kind enough to do it for you. so just following them on twitter will give you a good idea or even a gist of stuff and you can decide what you want to dig into from there that's what i do i i don't follow it still i'm not able to follow it properly i i struggle with that but that's that's one form of distillation that that helps apart from that just general curiosity just picking up things that i like so for example right now i'm i'm going through the book called high performance python which is pretty relevant it's it's not disjoint to machine learning so just just exploring in different directions that that seem to be interesting one thing i've learned is to let go of a course i don't need to complete it if i don't enjoy it or if it doesn't seem relevant enough so that's that's one thing i i've been doing more so recently not not just bailing on courses but giving up if i don't see a lot of value there yeah yeah definitely it's somewhat counterintuitive device because you always you have to obviously have to balance those things where you have to you finish the things that you commit to and that are going to be really useful but yet you're not afraid to if it's just a waste of your time you feel no obligation even if you paid for it to to complete it waste waste of time is in the right word so we all learn through different processes and there's there's a curve to connecting with the teacher with the course as well so if if it doesn't work for you at least for me if it doesn't work too nicely for me if i struggle with the teaching methodology i would just switch courses try to go to another one and there's there's plenty of courses for every single direction now in in what we what we studying yeah okay i i really like that correction that you make actually about the learning styles 
this is something that I talked about in uh, one of my previous episodes, but it, when I was first learning, I started with my, my school's uh, it was like statistical learning theory class. Hmm. And I could not get through that to save my life. It, and I, I was really beating myself up about it. I thought that I just, uh, maybe I'm just not right for this field. Yeah. And then I took the Andrew Ng machine learning Coursera course. Did, did you complete it? <laughs> I, I did actually, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> but I, and I don't know what the difference was, but there was just something about his teaching that made it click more for me. And then later on taking the fast AI deep learning for coders course, which is very top down, as you know, that's where it really started to click for me. So getting, knowing that learning style is super important. I guess I I should also mention that you don't want to know how frustrating it is going to be. Otherwise you'd bail, which is why I said it's, it's very difficult to get things working. When you're starting out, it's easy to get a lot of things working just uh, for example fast ai uh, makes a lot of things easy when you're just starting out but from there going going on and beyond it's it's very frustrating at least especially for me when when i'm starting out and still today it still till date it is you don't want to know how frustrating it will be i've never taken a starts course outside of what whatever my syllabus forced me to study which also i pattern matched my way through so i don't know stats till this date if i need it i pick it up right now I've just picked up uh, the famous esl book and the intro to statistical learning books mm-hmm. i'm yeah, slowly books, yeah. yes i'm slowly making my way through but uh, what's what's really important is you make you need to make sure you're having fun so only pick things up that are of interest to you otherwise it's it's a challenging field it's it's easy to get started too but again if you need if if you want to stay at it it'll, it'll start to get frustrating so you don't want to pick up things that you wouldn't enjoy mm-hmm. yeah and that's uh yeah it's interesting that that's uh, the second time that you bring this up in the interview about how <laughs> you really do need to pursue the, that passion and looking through the the going back to the interviews that you did with the people at the top of their of, of this field it is apparent that they share that passion as well yeah but do you think that i guess how important do you think how much importance would you ascribe uh passion as a success factor complete i think a hundred percent yeah, I, I don't think you, you can stay at a field. And it takes a lot of time to come up with something interesting. You you could do it by just, while you just joined the field. So you could easily break a state of the art. But you're missing out on whatever background you've had before that. So whatever life experiences you've had before that, if you're coming from a different field, all of those compound together. So I know through the Fast Day forums, there have been different experts from different domains coming into this course. They have that knowledge. They have worked their way to it. And they are fully aware of what they are doing there. Or you could also explore an area that's not explored yet. So you could also contribute there. But to keep doing that and uh, to keep producing meaningful or important results, it, it does take a lot of passion. And that that takes you through it. I, I don't know if you ever set up an AWS instance or a GCP instance. Yeah, all the time. How frustrating was it the first time you did it? it, it <laughs> the <right>? first time. <laughs> if, <laughs> actually, the worst is setting up a GPU instance, yeah. a multi-GPU instance on the first for the first time. 
because you have to deal with the CUDA versions exactly. and you have to deal with the specific backends of like of the num- numerical libraries and you have to make that all work with a different f- with uh, the different deep learning frameworks and then you figure out <laughs> that the code was written in a different one yes. and then you have to delete all of that and set it up in a virtual environment that's one thing no one talks about right i uh so do you remember a time when the graphic cards had uh, triple digit n- numbers? I, I started on a laptop that had a 730M on it. And I didn't mm. know it could run, it couldn't run CUDA. So I took two weeks to try and get CUDA working on it. Gave up after that. But if I hadn't been interested in following the bigger picture, right? I would have given up midway. This is too hard. Of course, this is not possible. I wouldn't be able to do it without knowing what's going on here. I would have bailed. So I, I think yeah. that's, that's why being passionate about uh, the bigger picture or in general is important for whatever is being pursued at that point in time. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it is a lot of those frustrations that no one tells you about that you do need that inherent interest to push through, uh, especially I'm just, I keep, I'm getting reminded now of the interview you did with Jeremy Howard, which was just amazing, by the way. That's definitely the best one that's out there. Jeremy's and he, thank you. Yeah. And he was saying that he actually now doesn't like training models just because of this reason of the frustration, how nothing works. Obviously, if you're just training ResNet or on uh, the image data set, it's, it's going to work because, or you're training like a transformer model on a known task, it's going to work. Yeah. But when you're trying to do something new and you're playing around with your own stuff, nothing works. You don't know why it doesn't work. <laughs> and there's not really, and it's really hard for other people to help you without uh, completely diving into it. Quote unquote, uh, so he, I, he said he hates, hate was repeated quite a few times modeling and he really enjoys <laughs> software engineering. I'm sure there are nuances there as well. So the level of models or the sophistication of the models that someone like Jeremy Howard is training would be much, much, much uh, different and much more sophisticated than what, than what I'd be working on at, at any point in time. So there's, there's nuances there as well, but it's, it's, it's frustrating in general to get things working since there's, there's no documented rule, right? How, how to make For things sure. work. Yeah. And if someone like as brilliant as Jeremy Howard is saying that these things are really hard for him, yeah. then I, you really do just have to, keep pushing to being driven by that, by that interest. Totally. And I think even in general with content creation, right? So Charlie, you're taking your morning, your Sunday morning to speak with me. That's, that's frustrating in itself. You have to speak with me on a Sunday morning. So there's, there's some <laughs> patience required there as well to just, just bring these things together as well. Yeah. It's funny because the reason I started the podcast was because of the COVID lockdowns here. I couldn't do my normal hobbies. Hmm. And so I had so much free time. I was pretty bored. And now I have no free time. So in some <laughs> sense, I, I met my goal. And, and like you say, yeah, it is hard work. Uh, it's, it's actually not, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be to start a podcast, but it was more work than I thought it would be. Again, up to anything, get, getting started is is... Very interesting, but uh, then then there comes a curve where you have to just continue through with it. Uh, that's that's where the passion or the interest gets tested, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with with your content, I guess going specifically back to that Jeremy Howard interview, what was your? Obviously, he was he was your mentor. You were interacting with him on on the message boards. How did you prepare for that interview? 
and he's he's not a direct mentor to me right so it's it's not that mm-hmm. every every time i'm having chai i get to ask jeremy a question i am very respectful even in general although in histor- in history i i may, might have asked a lot of stupid questions without doing my homework i try to be respectful so that was through the forums uh, where he teaches us all and he generally jeremy himself answers almost all of the questions i don't know how they do it but a lot of people also do that on the forums to me in general i'm i'm interested in creating content that has some lifespan right so i i had written a lot of tutorials about what i was doing initially tutorials on open cv tutorials on robotics tutorials on python 0.4 now of course you need to constantly be updating them that's that's something different i think there's there's in what we do there's a lot of space for everyone and uh, anyone so i was interested in curating it prices in general that adds value and somewhat stands the test of time and whenever i'm preparing for a question i try to uh, find questions that haven't been answered uh, before a lot of people that i get to uh, interview have given a lot of interviews they have uh, their journeys documented almost everywhere you you could think of so just just asking questions a that that aren't too repetitive or too uh, very very naive although i think i still ask a lot of naive questions and b also making sure that it's it's a general coverage of their journey or something that uh, we all could learn through mhm mm-hmm. and i was listening to your episode yesterday with jeremy from towards data science and you said that you have now gotten close to or surpassed the 100,000 download mark on your podcast now yeah it's it's somewhat unbelievable still surprising still hoping to continue it but yes and thanks thanks for checking that episode out <laughs> yeah of course and congratulations on the, the 100,000 downloads it's a huge milestone and in such a short amount of time as well why do you think that your content is resonating so much I think so it's it's a simple process right asking people about their journeys into the field and I I guess who wouldn't want to know how someone that they really look up to has has gotten into the field at least I would and that's true to any any episode that I uh, host if I may that I ask questions that I I really like to know so most of the times it's it's driven by my own curiosity in general and yeah I I think some people get a lot of value out of it i hope and that's that's why they tune into it i i try to be very respectful of everyone's time not not just the person i'm interviewing so i don't spam people with hey you should check this interview out i do share it once or twice but i try to be very respectful of the community i i guess there's there's a curve there right whenever you starting out on something it takes a lot of time at least for me i'm i'm really slow with uh, all of this process and to me it'll it'll appear like hey this is something very important because it's taking i don't know what 100 hours per week of my time so it, people must know about it no 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 <laughs> take it easy just just make sure that people are aware of it don't don't think that it's it's a huge hugely important thing that deserves everyone's time so i try to be respectful of everyone's time and uh, share it here and there i think a few people really enjoy uh, learning about our heroes so ne it's it's not just my machine learning heroes it's also people that the community really enjoys tuning into 
Yeah, for sure. And you've had some really great guests on. Hey, just yesterday, I was listening to your interview with Brian Catanzaro from NVIDIA. First off, that guy has amazing facial hair. But <laughs> beyond that, <laughs> extremely interesting uh, interview. And you produce so much content. It's amazing that you are knowing the work that goes on behind just one episode. Two per week is uh, very ambitious. <laughs> so how did you decide to double that originally or weekly, I believe? No, it was two per week uh, since day one. Oh, okay, okay. I, I just said it while recording the intro episode. I just said, hey, I'm going to release an episode every Thursday and Sunday. That's it. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> I couldn't follow it uh, for quite a bit. There were some breaks here and there. But um, then in 2020, I was going to attend Fast A in person. Now I needed to make sure that this, this thing is going on because I know that I was going to be super busy while taking the course in person. I was, I was hoping to meet a lot of my friends that I had known to the community. So I decided to pick up a schedule that will allow me to keep releasing these two per week. And then the pandemic hit and like you, I was, I was bored. I was trying to figure out something to do with my time. Not that I was doing something any <laughs> interesting earlier anyways. And yeah, I just, I just continued with it. So that's, that's a challenge I've taken up for this year to release one episode every Thursday and every Sunday, every week, sharp at 9am Pacific throughout the year without any exceptions. For no reason at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, from uh, one podcaster, one new podcaster to it, that's, it's very impressive that you're able to do that. It's 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 fun for sure. So it's it's not that I'm blindly chasing that pole. I genuinely enjoy mm. meeting the people that I get to meet. And it's not that I'm just finding out people to interview just because I have this crazy schedule. I would have always loved to meet the people or speak with them, the ones that I have gotten to meet. So it's 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 really enjoyable. It's it's not work, honestly. It's 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 not work at all. It's something I really enjoy. Yeah, actually I feel the exact same way. Talking to people like yourself. It gives you so many ideas afterwards. You're kind of, uh, I actually have to, like, uh, as a, like uh, an introvert, you talked about this on the episode two days ago from in Towards Data Science. But yeah, afterwards, you just kind of have to relax after the interview and just soak in all of the knowledge that your guest just gave you. I hope you don't take my knowledge, Charlie, because I am sure that's not the best knowledge anyone could give you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't necessarily think that that is true. Everyone's journey holds, uh, holds lessons for nearly everyone. Uh, in machine learning. So then, I guess, what content opportunities are you are you still seeing out there? Uh, I've heard a lot of people say that, at least when I told them about uh, my idea to start this podcast, that, mm -hmm. oh, there's so much content out there already. You're just going to add more to the noise. What do you think about the opportunities for not just podcasts, but possibly also more YouTube videos, courses, I think a lot about this and that you need to do that in, if you continue with something. If uh, you think this is going to end, uh, or let me put it this way, if I think I, I might have to end the podcast uh, just because it's getting repetitive, that's, that's on me. I'm not being innovative enough. If I can't keep it going, I don't deserve to keep it running. So that's, that's part mm -hmm. of content creation. And that's why the word creativity comes in there. So you need to be creative while trying to understand what people will enjoy. 
but being creative and being true to whatever is being done is is important to me so i see a lot of different things out there right why why do uh, what what you and i do why do we need to do it just because companies like google fear whatever research they putting out i wish they, they would just and let's say let's say some paper takes around what's a reasonable number 50000 to train whatever research goes behind it all of the research is pulled let's 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 say 50000 dollars is a reasonable sure. number right if they had hired some content creator or some great youtuber that all of us enjoy watching for what's a reasonable amount 1500 2000 how much more accessible will that be right that's that's the space we're contributing to and i i don't think that research institutes are particularly inclined to us that they do uh, put out great blog posts but they are somewhat restrictive in what reach they have so just figuring out whatever gaps exist there and trying to fill them that's i think that's that's the best place to be in right just trying to fill these gaps and making sure that uh, the community is getting value out of it so that's that's how i approach these ideas in general yeah exactly and it seems a little bit cliche now to say democratizing ai cuz it seems like that's what everyone says but in the literal sense that is what you're doing you're taking these concepts from the lessons that people have learned doing their research through lessons from the research itself and then making that accessible for someone who maybe isn't at the the top of the field and can doesn't have that level of understanding yeah and apart from that it's also born out of selfish interest to get to know about these people soon which is which is why also since it's it's in community effort i turn down respectfully all sponsorship opportunities that i get believe it or not i do get a few here and there that's not of interest to me this uh, podcast at least is something that i'm doing for the community i had been offered uh, some amounts for the blog posts as well i wasn't interested in that i was just interested in creating something for the community and that comes out of the general gratitude i have for people who have passed on their knowledge to me and i i almost feel completely responsible to making sure that it it uh, makes it way to newer people who are starting out their journey or everyone in the field if if i can do that in a respectful way in a way that people get value out of it uh, what's what's a better place to be in Yeah, for sure. And well, I can tell you right now people are definitely getting value from your podcast and it's interesting <laughs> that you are turning down those sponsorship opportunities, but because you want it to continue to be a product for the community. So, but have you ever thought about uh, this is something I think about a lot, running maybe like uh, some sort of virtual event or starting your own community? I do think like that's that's very easy to mess up as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh community is something that's open by standards and if i create a community around this podcast a i don't have any value to add to it apart from the people that i get to interview so the, the value comes from there i don't have mm-hmm. any knowledge or any skill set to add to the community so there's no point in forcing people to watch these apart from whosoever even uh, gets interested enough to watch the interviews that i conduct So what I do instead is contribute to communities that I know are open and allow me to contribute and just share my interviews there respectfully. So I I do two interviews per week. I publish two interviews per week. I record more than that sometimes during some weeks. Mm-hmm. That means I I have to 
write eight posts per month, right? I need to be respectful of everyone's time. That all that is spamming. That's that's not almost that is spamming. So mm-hmm. you need to be respectful of the community as well. I just joined the ones that are active and that allow me to contribute. Mm-hmm. How are you thinking about? Uh, I guess your target audience in terms of the level of technicality in, in the content, this is something that I'm still trying to work out. So I'm asking this question very, uh, very selfishly. But Good question. Yeah. What, like you can target either people who are doing research actively, who are more advanced. You can target the people who are applying and target the people who are uh, learning. How do you think about that? Like I said, everyone has their own place and their podcasts are two different things. I personally like keeping things general. There's, there's a fine line beyond which if you go, I much rather pick up the book myself or the paper myself and read it. If, if I go into that mm-hmm. much technical depth, not that I'm capable of doing it right away. If I do my homework, I would have some context and I'd be able to go into the specific architectural details of why they did X, Y, Z. At that point, if I'm asking that question, I don't like consuming that through audio. I much rather read it because I, I need more attention. I yeah, I struggle yeah. with that through audio. So things that I would enjoy listening to, and that's not to sound too sophisticated again. I, I try to create things that I hope give value to the community, not anything apart from that. And again, it's it's an innovative process, right? You need to figure out what questions are worth asking Uh I'm I'm sure uh, I I ask almost all questions that that are very repetitive. So I need to make sure that the person who's going to answer this has a different story to share or has something interesting to share there. To pivot a little bit, what do you think someone who listens to your show would be surprised to know about you? I don't think there's anything that uh, isn't out there already. <laughs> yeah i don't think i don't think there's any such thing that's that's not i'll, I'll say one thing mm-hmm. that how young you are actually because it's funny in the podcast that i was listening to you said that you used your growing your beard strategically yes when you were doing job interviews and that totally fooled me as well because <laughs> in your linkedin and twitter profile pictures you have the you have like the a pretty well-defined thick beard and it definitely makes you look <laughs> probably like five years older than you actually are. <laughs> that's that's the hack, right? That's the hack to getting freelance jobs. I, I think people just trust you uh, as long as you, you can uh, guarantee that you can get the job done. Um, and if you look old enough, they, they trust you more. So that, that was, that was the, that, that was a result of my AB testing. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think I'm too young. I'm 23 right now. Not sure if that will surprise anyone, but I, I think it's already out there. Mm-hmm. And did you, I think your, your mindset is so interesting in that you, when people tell you that you can't do something, you always, you want to make sure that they're right. You're not, you don't just take it for face value. You try and if you see an obstacle, you just automatically just push through it, stuff like, uh, stuff like that. Obviously there, it's harder than that. And there's frustrations along the way and such and such. But was that something that was always a part of your personality or was it developed through a formative experience early on? I think there's, there's a lot of uh, personal interest along what, whatever I decide to pursue. So if, if I end up making my mind about something, I'll at least give it a sincere try. 
and that is not to uh, take a challenge for example charlie if you challenge me to something if it's of interest to me i'll keep pursuing it and not just go hey he just this guy just challenged me i'm, I'm going to try it just now so that's that's not how it happens uh, of course there are two things to this uh, two sides to this coin right if you've already made your mind about something you're going to keep asking for opinions unless uh, up until you get the right answer from someone yeah this sounds good why not but to me it's almost uh, driven by internal factors about whatever i decide to do and i guess that's that's interesting because we were just talking about the blog post so when i started writing blog posts that was almost surprising to the peer groups uh, that i would hang out with so they did did understand it quite as well now it's it's uh, luckily more people understand the value of it it was the same with the podcast i have shared this in in my journey but i quit all of the freelance contracts i had at that point just mm-hmm. because this looked inspiring enough to me and i was motivated enough to start this and i did almost overnight and apart from whatever time it took to end those contracts or conclude those works mm-hmm. and you also recently i guess not so recently but you started working at h2o ai so it's, can you talk a little about it's about almost that? a year now so the one year anniversary work anniversary mm-hmm. is coming up so how did you i'm assuming that you obviously applied for the position and interviewed but what did you hear about them before did you know about what the work they were doing uh what does your i guess job description day to day look like now so i of course knew about them i had interviewed a few grandmasters from h2 and mm. i knew we still have the best of the west here we have the smartest of the smartest people not just the kagel grandmasters right even even people that are working on the engineering side of things even people that are working a sales cycle is involved because we do have some licensed products they are also the best of the best people that are on the content team are also the best of the best so it's it's so much to learn right and i happen so we call ourselves makers i happen to be the youngest maker which makes me feel really stupid every day and makes me feel that i need to learn a lot what my day to day entails we follow philosophy called makers gonna make and that's that's one t-shirt i wear very respectfully we have it on our t-shirts the company t-shirt i wear it with a lot of respect and quite literally that internally we have a lot of freedom of what we can perceive so at this point as you know i'm i'm running a podcast and it's it's not possible to do this right outside of work there's a lot of overlap mm-hmm. there as well i have the freedom to interview people we have we have a lot of grandmasters i've interviewed almost all of them at this point but new keep joining so there's there's more to interview here and there every now and then and they keep saying yes i'm lucky there so i get to interview them i get to pursue my ideas i enjoy doing meetups i get to do a lot of meetups and yeah it's it's it, there's a lot of freedom of uh, what you can do unless of course it's too out there right at at this point when we're talking right now i'm also working on a course we're teaching so we decided to create a course because i think uh, the team the content team saw an opportunity to create some value for deep learning or machine learning related courses and we have the experts the best of the best former number one current number one in competitions tier on kaggle so they are also teaching lectures how how cool is that that you get to 
work with them on some material so at this point in time i'm also working on the deep learning module of it which is which is very funny right i am not an expert at all in that area and i get to learn from the people around me at the team of course it's it's not just a single person i'm i'm responsible for the module in general but i'm also getting to collaborate with everyone mm-hmm. and even though you might not be an expert in the the subject matter per you have done so many of these interviews and not just in the podcast but also in the blog so you might say that you are if not an expert extremely good at teasing out uh, and getting to like the heart of the matter from because maybe the people who are at the top of their field, the grandmasters, they don't necessarily know what would be useful at what state or what step. Whereas you're having self-learned this, you're more connected to what people would find useful. I somewhat disagree with that. I don't think I am more, I don't think I have more awareness than, than them. So I'm aware of what I know, what I don't know to some extent. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure, and I have noticed this, that of course the grandmasters are are much more knowledgeable because they are still active. It's not that they have achieved the title and that's it. They still compete to this day, and they I'm sure they learn a lot of things every day much faster than what I would approach materials with. And I, I don't think the podcast has given me any any secret knowledge. Of course, I get to interact with a lot of people. It's just their knowledge distilled into me to some extent. Mm-hmm. but uh, there's there's no other secret outside of that <laughs> and you're what is we talked we touched a little bit on this before but applying it specifically to the course that you're a part of what is the positioning of like the target audience uh, who would find it useful sure that's that's a great question so we have two courses we've completed what we call the ai foundations course so that was for people in general, curious about artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. That's out there. It's already there on our pages. I, I'll send links over to you if you'd like to. Yeah, for them. sure. I can put those in the description. Right now, what we're teaching uh, is called Machine Learning Foundations course. And that's for people who are looking to get into machine learning or just understand the foundations of it. And how do you differentiate, uh, I guess, what the course that you're making, uh, that HTO is making from... Coursera, deep learning, the AI, uh, like the Stanford courses, fast AI, of course. That's a great question. And I think with content creation, everyone has uh, their own place to contribute to. Mm-hmm. So with H2O.ai, we have a lot of products, both open source and uh, proprietary. And uh, there, there are a lot of learnings there as well uh, that mm-hmm. the team has picked up and how to apply these effectively. So A, we're also... Showing, hey, we have an open source framework called S203, which is for automated machine learning. Here's how you can use this to apply it to different uh, things. And also looking at other courses, me personally, uh, trying to figure out the gaps that I wish were taught earlier. So I try to take inspiration to teach it in a top-down fashion. I'm sure I, I don't do it well in any extent. So... Personally, about my modules, and I think the team would agree, we were trying to create a course that is approachable to anyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it seems like a lot more people, not just in the ML community, not even just in the CS community, but a lot of people in who are professionals and working, they are seeing this trend emerging of machine learning and that 
it seems pretty clear at this point that a lot of people for their day-to-day jobs in the future are going to have to interact with with maybe with if not the models themselves or but just the output of them so do you think that ai understanding and working with it is going to be a key skill and is that part of something that the h2o education is trying to do for sure um, eventually these these things are going to make their way into everything and i think they are already so i was i was reading uh, about i think the software we are using to record the audio and they of course every software use some level of sophistication of managing things which may or may not include machine learning or ai broadly speaking in a different flavor now that could have been machine learning 5 years ago now it's just a simple mm. algorithm and i think eventually it'll just become a part of what what we're using for example right now the compression that this audio is going through it's it's being figured out by zoom and what not the brightness of my monitor is also being calibrated itself through the sensors right it makes sense right now it sounds very stupid but of course someone had to write these down and now it's just as simple as that so that's that's one thing i do see happening eventually and it's already happening if i may to some extent but yeah that's that's definitely a goal that we're trying to contribute to mm-hmm. and another use case for for this have you ever heard of descript i have yeah do you use it i have tried it but not not i don't use it extensively and in transcribing my interviews. Mm, okay. Yeah, I really like it actually because you can it's much faster I find to when you're doing finding out like spots to take out and stuff, you can just read it through the transcript quickly and then it yeah. will yeah, when you select the text it selects the audio associated with the text and you can delete that from the text. I, I just think it's a real a really really cool product and showcasing of that AI capability. Yeah, no, it's 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 great. I don't use it because I have a different pipeline that I was accustomed to before that came along. So for for for, sure, for sure for your audience, I transcribed almost no, actually all of my interviews up until a point, and somewhere along Wait, you you transcribed them. Yes. <laughs> Real, wow. Okay. <laughs> Going back to the hard work thing. That's amazing. I think that that was part of the process, just to make it more accessible. Someone had complained that I wish that this had. Uh, subtitles so i subtitle all of all of the mm-hmm. interviews so trans the software descript came along some time while i was in the process now it is very time consuming i hope no one has gone through the process of transcribing but it takes some effort and i didn't want to switch pipelines at that point in time okay okay wow that's wow i can't even imagine how much time that that must have taken especially in the two per week stage wow it's fun <laughs> yeah I, I guess it does make you really consider what they're saying because you do have to type it out. Absolutely. And you're so involved with having talked to these people and like you said yourself distilling some of their some of their knowledge and being involved so closely with the community with within a major company as well. What what are you seeing that people are really excited about in the field right now? Um I think everyone has their own perspective and through whatever background people come through and assuming they are coming for a different field they I hope can see the capabilities of machine learning being applied to their domain to non creative undergrads like me uh, they see some value of being able to understand this and apply it to things that are of interest to us 
so that's that's one recurring theme and once you get into the meat of stuff you get excited by being able to make some paperwork on some different uh, task so that, that there's a learning curve there of course but again uh, through different levels it's just the possibilities i think and in my opinion it's still underutilized to some extent it's somewhere somewhere it's over marketed but it's also somewhere uh, very underutilized so that's that's where the interesting things lie at least to me mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely over marketed every single software company nowadays every enterprise seems to say oh yeah we're we're using ai in this use case where ai means uh, like linear regression <laughs> that's that's fair i don't see anything wrong with that you have to also sell whatever you're building but so once once you get into the meat of things you see hey uh, deep learning is transformer models it's segmentation models but there's there's so much outside of this what what, what exactly is ai right that's again a term we have created it's just it could mm-hmm. be applied stats it could be applied computer science even if you want to argue there's there's no book to it right yeah yeah of course so of course it depends uh yeah what people are interested in depends on their uh prior experiences and such but what are you mentioned before that you're interested in the agriculture potential applications in agriculture agritech are there other potential are there other sectors or use cases that you think are particularly ripe for disruption with ai um to be honest and i don't have a very solid understanding still of the industry um, in general outside of machine learning as well so i hope it can be applied to agriculture in india i see a lot of potential there and i keep getting surprised about how many things i wish uh, that this is being applied to and that's mm. that's one of the goals that i think uh, we at hro.ai as a company also have which is to democratize uh, ai with the tools that we build right it's 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 to make sure that anyone can use this on their data and being able to apply it so what we build are different flavors of auto ml softwares and i think that's that's what makes things interesting which is once once everyone understands this or once everyone is being is able to use it then then what happens then where, where do you apply these yeah yeah the neural architecture sort of papers specifically uh, that's probably more a more advanced version of what, what you're talking about but the yeah google released the all the nas papers where they're getting insane results from just letting a neural network build another neural network for for a task and you end up with these really strange architectures that kind of weirdly make sense in a way at the end yeah and of course i haven't contributed to them uh, the very smart kaggle grandmasters that have been working at it to have have built these products they have figured out how to make it work very nicely to extend that we call it a grandmaster in a box yeah i i, I see a lot of possibilities but not mm-hmm. to sound too too smart i think i'm still understanding where things can be applied effectively mm-hmm. or if they can yeah. be applied so i don't have any interesting insight there i think <laughs> so to follow on a little bit for the on the ml auto ml uh, topic uh, i was reading a post recently i don't remember what it was actually but they were at the end concluding that oh there's so many deep learning and machine learning courses out there now and everyone seems to be learning and then at the end they gave the suggestion that this is all going to die out machine learning is going to it's just another fad how and that if you're a computer science graduate you shouldn't go into machine learning just focus on engineering where obviously i think you can tell where i fall on this but where do you what's your opinion on that it's it's a good thought to know (laughs) 
I, I don't I don't think I can predict the future. Uh, I still see a lot of value in it. I still see there's a lot of potential for everyone to contribute to it. I don't think it's overhyped still, given that how much it these things can be applied. But there's also uh, a requirement for understanding how can you get to the level where you can contribute to different things. So it's it's not that me as an undergrad who was just learning how to code properly, who was just learning what is stats even, can, can do something very amazing that solves, I don't know, something very important. It, it could to some extent, but of course it will take a lot of efforts, a complete team, whatnot. So I... I don't think it's a fad. I don't think it's it's going away. I enjoy it. I am going to continue it for a while. And I, I yeah. don't I don't uh, particularly agree with that statement so much. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think that it is true that there's a lot of people learning it, but I really think that there are way more opportunities than anyone thinks. It goes back to what you were saying about the definition of AI. It's it's literally just learning compu- learning what computations to do in data instead of just having some human make the rules for that. Yeah. And if you think about it, that's all that programming is really doing. How cool would it be if I were to offer you a paid tool or whatever tool that could automatically analyze what people really enjoy listening to on a podcast and you could just drop in links to whosoever great uh, guest you're inviting, assuming that's not me. And it'll automatically come up with questions that are worth asking and would be interesting to the audience, right? It's it's not out there. It's it's not too much out of reach as well, if I may. Of course, it'll, it'll be tricky to build. That's why no one has it. But we need more such things applied specifically to different directions. And I think it'll, it'll eventually trickle down into finer applications. Now it's just broad applications, self-driving cars. Now... We're also seeing these cleaning robots that can navigate your house properly. That's that's a version of that, right? If I may. Yeah, the oh man, so many so many places to go down uh, this rabbit hole of uh, yeah. things that could be <laughs> can be applied to. I see that you have an Apple Watch on your wrist. Yeah. We're just now seeing the possible uses of like edge computing, federated learning, and stuff, right. and with all these different devices that are collecting data. Obviously, it's a little bit scary from a privacy perspective. There's so much you can do in terms of like wearables and, and things like that. And some people might disagree whosoever hates Apple, but I think they're doing a really great job, right? I had an accident earlier last year. And instead, so I was riding a motorbike and I had an accident. I fell down. The watch had instantly picked up that I had a drastic fall. Wow. And really? there's, there's an auto alert Thing, I think that gives you 30 seconds to tap on it in some pattern. Otherwise, it will automatically send a distress signal out to different people. Oh, wow. So it's it's already being applied, right? And you could do so many things beyond that as well. That's really cool. I didn't know that that was a feature. I, ju- I just saw that uh, they were doing something with like detecting not just uh, COVID, but also detect, possibly detecting like heart arrhythmias. Yeah, like we keep saying, there's just so much potential here in so many different industries. And I really don't think that uh, there, I don't think it would be wasted time for people to study this field. For sure. Me particularly, I don't have any interesting insights just because I'm still in my learning phase of this field. So I don't see it from an quote unquote expert perspective. But from what what I understand, I'm sure there's a lot we we could do. 
And that continuous learning part is so, so important, especially in a field that moves as fast as machine learning. Are there, you mentioned high performance Python that you were, you were reading. Are there other resources that you've gone through recently that you would recommend? Sure. I know this is an audio only podcast, but I'll hold it out for the Zoom call. It's called this book. It's called uh, Deep Learning for Coders at Fast A and PyTorch. It's from the creators of the Fast A course. As you know, I already have it on my table, very handy. But I, I think it's much more denser than the course. And of course, there's, there's no one single resource that can teach you everything about it. But if you only had the time to pick up one resource, I hope people would take this. It's already there available for free as well if you want to do that. I particularly like investing into learning. So you might, my suggestion would be grab a physical book. Enjoy that just because we're having too much screen time. But if I were to recommend only one single resource, if you had the bandwidth to just pick up one thing to learn machine learning or deep learning, I'd recommend this book. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. I absolutely you love You haven't already? <laughs> no, not the book. Uh, I, I saw that it was released, but no, I haven't. Uh, I'll do it myself. Okay. But it's, uh, it's called, the full title is Practical Deep Learning for Coders with Fast AI and PyTorch, just so that the listeners can can start to look that up. And I'll also drop a link in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. To start to wrap this up, sure. I'm going to go through some of the rapid fire questions that I've prepared. Okay. And the first one of those is, how do you recharge outside of uh, the podcast and all the other things you do? I try to catch up on sleep sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I also play Call of Duty Warzone sometimes, not as much, 5-10 hours a month. That's that's a lot less. I used to play a lot more when I was competitive. But yeah, just, just catching up on sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those games can get uh, really, really addictive. Yeah, I wish I had the bandwidth. I enjoy it still. But yeah. <laughs> For sure. And we already touched on this, but I'll reframe the question a little bit so it doesn't overlap. Sure. What non-technical book or books do you most recommend to other people? Non-technical book. The one that I have really enjoyed was called, and I'm going to uh, cuss on the show, please pardon the French, it's called Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. That's that's the mm. title of the book. That's one book I've really enjoyed. Uh, and there was a follow, follow book as well. It wasn't as interesting to me, but I really enjoyed the first one. Yeah, yeah, I actually have that. You can see it, it's at the very bottom. Yeah, it, it stands out with the orange color everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, great book. I can definitely recommend that as well. And again, books books come from different interests at that point in time. When I was in college, that really spoke out to me just because the mindset that I had in university uh, was, was a different one. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle with that in university when they're they're suddenly bombarded by like, everything coming at them. I mean, you, you said that you were almost in every single school club. Yeah. Uh, and that book really does encourage you to try and pare down what you actually care about so you can have some semblance of focus. Yeah, now you can see where that comes from. <laughs> for sure, for sure. How big of an existential risk is AGI? Um, I don't try to think a lot about it, not just because I want to ignore the fact I don't think we're there yet. I'm also, of course, interested in 
what we call narrow AI right now. What you have is narrow AI. But then, of course, I, I read or heard this somewhere. It's like AGI is like explaining what iOS apps are to someone from the 60s, right? How would you do that? You need a lot more context. Mm, that's a good metaphor, yeah. I don't have the understanding for it. And personally, I'm not too inclined towards that. I'm more interested in the narrow AI that I foresee can, can be applied in a short matter of time, short being five to 10 years in different fields. Yeah. Mm, gotcha. And lastly, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Most of my mentors agree with me on it, but I guess my peers disagree about just pursuing something that is of interest to you, being being patient in, in the long term. So I'm sure we're going to stay in this field for quite a few years. I could run a podcast for one year or two. That doesn't take me away from what would I end up doing? I could start a blog for a year. I could do that for one year without learning so much about stats. That doesn't take stats away from me. I'll get there eventually. And that is not to say that you don't have to be very thorough with what you're doing at, at a point in time, but in the broader picture being being patient. So that's that's one thing that my peers would disagree. And I, I guess that also comes from different age groups. So most of my mentors are much elder to me. They, they see the value in there, but my peers don't. I I really, really like that answer. Something that I'll give a quick anecdote, but when I was first starting to train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's a, a martial art. My, my approach was always, I'm just going to go every single day, like for two hours a day, and just go as hard as I can every day. <laughs> and uh, that, of course, is not a sustainable practice. You end up getting injured and yeah, you're just so general overtraining, especially if you're also lifting weights like it was at the time. My coach, maybe after a few months, pulled me aside and he was like, you've got to tone it down. Yeah. Like you're not going to, if you keep going at this intensity, you're never going to be able to sustain it for the 10 years that's necessary to, to be a black belt. And the quote that really stuck with me was always never sacrifice short term or never sacrifice long term sustainability for short term intensity. Yeah, I, I think I struggle with that still. But what what I was trying to say is uh, there's, there's a bigger picture and pursuing your passions can lead to different things. Or in general, in, in the broader picture, you'll, you'll of course be happier than whatever otherwise you end up pursuing would, would give you. So that's, that's one thing I try to do. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. So this was... Such a, such an interesting conversation, and it's great to talk to someone like yourself who's had the knowledge of, uh, of all, all these people distilled and is also in the content creation space. So where can people find you online? Pretty much any platform, I think, at this point. I, I have the podcast that I think I'll keep running, and the episodes will keep going out twice a week, at least for, for a while now. So that's, that's mm-hmm. there on all streaming platforms, wherever you can find them. I'm pretty active on Twitter. I guess th- those are the two ones. Just for for the listeners, that is uh, ctds.show, if I, if I recall correctly, uh, Chai Time Data Science, yes. if you search, like you said, any any podcast player of choice. And then on Twitter, the your username is at Siam Bhutani. It's my second name concatenated with my first name followed by a numerical one. So I didn't really think it through, but it's Bhutani Siam one. Mm, okay, okay. Good to know. I'll uh, link that in the, in the uh, show notes. Great. So again, thank you so much for joining me 
excellent, excellent conversation. This was amazing, Charlie. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. I really enjoyed your questions. I think you you do a much better job than what I do. I'm I'm inspired to go back to my cave, improve what I do. But this this was an amazing opportunity. Thanks. Thanks for that. Of course, of course. Thank you so much for listening. It is a huge honor to be able to bring you these conversations. If you want to learn more about anything mentioned in this podcast, visit our website, mlengineered.com to view detailed show notes and sign up for our email list, where every week I send out the best of what I've found that will help you become a better machine learning researcher, engineer, or entrepreneur. That's mlengineered.com. Engineered.com.